Hello and welcome to this week's Therapy For Me. And I've realised that in nearly 100 episodes, every time I start this, I've never once said, how are you? So let's start with that this week. How are you? I hope you're doing okay. Um, and, and I apologise for being so remiss in the past never to have even thought about inquiring. Anyway, we will uh, we will crack on and we'll have a little bit of that twangy guitar. <laughs> I'm going to make the case for soap on a rope, Um, which probably is not where you thought I'd start this week. And to be honest, I wasn't convinced it's where I was going to start this week. But um, I noticed this morning, I've meant to mention it for a couple of weeks, actually. And um, I, uh, it just dawned on me this morning that it was something that needed needed now to be mentioned. Uh, Because we're getting to the end of the soap on a rope. Um, But I will explain. So... We had um, we had a new uh, ensuite fitted um, last year, and as with as with a lot of jobs that you have done, um, it, it was it was beautifully done, and uh, there was just a couple of decisions we'd not made. Uh, one was about how we were going to store things in the shower, in terms of you know shampoo and various things, and the second thing was about a bathroom cabinet, which we were trying to get one um, that was illuminated and the only, and it's not that there isn't plenty of choices of illuminated ones around it's just the space we've got is very specific and we're struggling to find the right thing to put there so we still have our existing bathroom cabinet with a a, a wire next to it um, all ready to go for when we've actually got round to getting the cabinet and we've still not made a decision about exactly how we want um, what we want in the shower to put things on so consequently our uh, shower cubicle has um, shampoo and um, shower gel and soap uh, a bar of soap strategically placed in the corner on the floor um, and that then led me to the fact that Josh had a soap on a rope he'd been given as part of a gift pack. I think it was Fat Face. And I said to him, are you ever going to use that? And he said, no. And I said, oh, can I have that? Um, because it would hang on the um, the bar of the shower. So it wouldn't have to, so you wouldn't have, the soap wouldn't have to sit on, in, on the shower cubicle tray. And of, of course... In doing that, which was a very practical solution, it just took me back to the fact that when I was a kid, soap on a rope was a thing you got every Christmas. It has a it has a magical memory built in. Um, so the whole thing about soap on a rope, whilst at the same time it brilliantly solved the the issue that we had with having to place soap on the floor, um, it's it also evoked all these memories. So I'm now back on soap on a rope and I'm wondering if there is a way of getting it without it having to come out of one of these kind of Christmas-esque gift packs. And I know it's perfect time for those, but the problem is it's, you know, it's it's you end up with all those things with things that you don't actually like or ever you're going to use. Um, and so if, you, if you're aware of a, so, a purveyor of soap on a rope, uh, while we get round to working out what the hell we're going to do about a shelf or a something in this shower, then uh, that information would be very much appreciated in the in the short household. Tuesday.
we finally got round to seeing James Bond uh, today, um, which is a bit of an epic. Um, you're in for you're in for sort of thick end of three hours, um, but it's it's fantastic and it's an incredible piece of entertainment, and I can see why the cinemas really wanted that to be shown there because I mean it was I mean what we're two weeks into the film's release and it was and it was full today uh, now it seemed to be OAP Tuesday because it was full I mean we 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 really took the average age of the audience down and it's very rarely that happens anymore um, so um, you can imagine you know you can imagine what it was full of there was one ridiculously comic moment where uh, a woman, I mean, plenty of people had to have toilet breaks. I mean, the thing about that particular crowd in a two and a half hour film, two and three quarter hour film, as you can imagine, there were constant shufflings and people going out to use the use the bathroom. One woman snuck past uh, on our row and went and then came back and, and just could not see where she'd come from. And I was I was kind of trying to gesticulate because I was on the end of the row to say, look, this you, you know you're on this row, and she was looking straight at me as if I was bonkers, and and then then just sat down somewhere else, not not even on the same side of the cinema, just just uh, you know um, decided that she couldn't deal with this and sat down somewhere else, and then five minutes later, uh, somebody was she was with they obviously the, the little group she was with dispatched a search party. Uh, and this this guy who you know was also in the younger end of the spectrum came out and literally took her by the hand and took her back to the to the row. Um, so we we were in that we were in that kind of environment with you know with 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 that kind of toasted tea cake brigade, but that's fine. Um, and all I really wanted to say about the film was I, I've not changed my opinion. Casino Royale is still the best of the bunch. And not just by a little bit, but by quite a way. But what I did notice was, we seem to have gone back, we've gone full arc in terms of, the stories have gone back to the kind of Bond movies, the, 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 maybe the later age Connery Bond movies, um, where, you know, the villain always had a layer. And there was loads and loads of, I mean, this thing about how Bond villains get there get their armies or their mercenaries or what have you but you know the 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 body count was ridiculous i mean bond was just dispatching villain after well villains henchmen after villains henchmen and and in that respect it seemed to have gone right you know more back to what a, a bond film i guess used to be whereas casino royale was a real break and had been a real new take on the, the whole Bond story and what have you. So, I mean, he was great again. Um, you know, and, and as a as a piece of entertainment, it's fantastic. Um, and I think, I, th- I think he's been allowed to end his Bond journey in a way that probably other Bonds haven't been able to do. And I think because of that, he's he's clearly had a lot of power, probably from I don't know whether it was from Casino Royale onwards, but he's. He's definitely had a lot of power to be able to make decisions and do what he he wants to do with the, uh, you know, with the story arc, um, and it and it certainly ended in a way that, you know, tied up everything, you know. So we just wait now and see how the hell they're going to do the reboot, as and when that happens. But it will be a proper reboot. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But um, but very very enjoyable. But I've not changed my view. Casino Royale is still far and away. In my opinion, the best of the Craigs. 
I was listening to Radio 4 this morning, and a lot of the talk obviously is about um, the environment and, and COP26. And this nutter, this Tory nutter, um, and I can't remember his name, but he was, he's from Thanet. I think it's the, the MP for South Thanet. Um, Martin McKinley or McGinley. And, um, and he's, he's now part of this group, this Net Zero Watch group which sounds very suspiciously like the European Research Group. Now, obviously, the European Research Group is full of um, Eurosceptics, very hardcore Eurosceptics, and the bit of the Tory party that bridged the nuttiness of UKIP with the nuttiness of the, of the extreme side of the Tory party. And this guy was just... I've got a suspicion that this group used to be a different group, which were a climate-denying group. They were a climate-change-denial group. And... I think they've gone from climate change denial to now kind of accepting that climate change through fossil fuel is a thing, but that it's just impossible to do anything about and it's too expensive and people won't wear it. So he was randomly spouting off this morning about, well, yes, okay, yes, it is a thing, but do you know what? People aren't going to have the appetite for it and it's going to cost too much money and we should just forget about it. Um, in that kind of way, that kind of way that somehow it, it will just all go away. It will all be fine, and there's nothing to concern yourself with, even though the you know the evidence is getting more damning by the day. So I just wonder where this this kind of where does this group of of, of kind of sort of white middle aged Tory nutter actually come from, and who actually listens to them? Um, well, I can probably work out who listens to them, but it's just, it just has seemed like more red meat. It seems like more red meat for this, this exceptionist part of, you know, of the UK that just thinks nothing applies to them. Um, and nothing going on in the world applies to them and nothing going on in Europe applies to them and nothing going on with things like the pandemic applies to them. And I was kind of, I was, I was just shocked really listening, listening to him. Um, and we another part on another part of the program. There's um, there was a, a libertarian on, which was the whole. In, we were getting into the whole mask thing, and it was the whole thing about this libertarian was just sort of saying, "Well, look, you can't have you, you can't we can't go back to lockdown. It's too damning for the environment." But in doing that, wouldn't have a sensible conversation about masks. Wouldn't have a sensible conversation about well, actually, all we're talking about here is maybe putting some restrictions back in. In, in, in shops or what have you, because it would ha- it would really help, you know, break the spread, and and they just won't countenance it. They they, they won't they, they'll only argue on the extreme, so they won't countenance the moderate, sensible in the middle. And I just I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Thursday. Obviously, COVID cases are on the rise. Um, I think it was Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday this week. We had. Um, the highest COVID case rate in the world in a single day, which, I mean, obviously, you know, fantastic, global Britain, um, you know, plucky, plucky little Brits, uh, boxing above our weight, you know, leading the world in 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 how to transmit a deadly virus. Um, I can see the Daily Mail headlines now. Um, but what really... What re- what's interesting about this is is how out of step I, I, I think maybe the government is 
with where the, the public is on this. And one of the things that was very evident when the report came out last week was how government was out of step with the public at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, the public was already starting to lock down before they were told to lock down. I remember finishing junior football two weeks before lockdown and lots of other events were, were being put on hold at local level before, you know, before we were told to do these things. And I think it, it might be happening again. Um, it, obviously, there's been a, a, a bit of argy-bargy. That's a phrase I haven't used for a long time. Um, this week where Sajid Javid had said that he, th- he thought that the, that the Tory party and, and particularly MPs in Parliament should lead by example because very few MPs, including all of the front bench, aren't wearing masks. And, um, and then there was some backlash to that from other people and the Tories were seriously having a debate about this, which I, don't, I, I just can't understand. It's, it's look, you've, you're there, you're an example, you, you just do the right thing. You're in a, it's hard to say that the House, the House of Commons isn't a crowded, a crowded indoor space. I don't know how you would even begin to suggest that's not the case. Everybody's packed into that building. So that's going on, which just seems ridiculous, but has got a whole raft of libertarianism flowing through it as well. Um, and yet I was in a... I, I was in Sainsbury's today and what I noticed was a definite upturn in people wearing masks. So having watched it decline for a long, long time, today I've seen it spike back up again. And, and you know, as the virus spikes, people start, and, and because the whole debate's been going on this week about whether there'd be a plan B or whether we, we'd have to return to some form of, you know, restriction over social distancing and, fa- and face mask wearing, the public have actually thought about it and thought, do you know what? it's the right thing to do and I was really quite pleasantly surprised in a couple of days how that's turned around because I was out on Tuesday and was very shocked at the fact I was the only person wearing a mask in the supermarket and yet I was in the supermarket today and I bet we were back to sort of 40-50% of the people I saw were wearing masks which which was really positive and I go back to the point that I made at the time we missed a huge opportunity to talk about face masks as a legitimate thing we should just do for public health and out of courtesy to others and it just got lost in the whole nonsense of freedom day and i think it's i think that's unraveling a bit now um we'll wait and see what happens in the next few weeks but i I definitely felt something a bit different today um and it just it's that whole thing of I, i do think the government's out of touch now with with where the public are on this Friday. Today has been one heck of a day. Um, whichever way around uh, I spin it, I'm going to end up with something along those lines. Um, the bit, I mean, I'll throw the spoilers in. Um, you can possibly hear that I'm outside. Um, I'm overlooking a beautiful golf course. Uh, I've got my feet uh, in a swimming pool. And I've got a glass of uh, Rueda, of white Rueda, which um, well, I suppose Rueda is white, and I suppose there is a red version, but I've got a glass of Rueda, which I'm just having the first, so it's my first sip um, of, a, of, 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 of an alcoholic drink whilst in, in Spain. Um, it has been somewhat of an epic to get here, but now we're here, 
um, it's brought a sense of equilibrium back to my world a little bit. Uh, I know I, I often see people put things on Instagram or Facebook where they put this is my happy place and I don't necessarily say that about this place in particular. There's a lot of places I feel that way about but I'm in one of the places where I I, I, I like to be and like to decompress um, and it's just nice to be somewhere different um, if only for a, a short amount of time. Um, the alarm went off at 20 past three this morning. Um, we already knew we'd got a potential issue when we got to the airport. Having jumped through hoops all week to do forms and get tests and do everything to ensure we could actually travel. Um, we, um, we knew we had a problem because we couldn't check into the flight yesterday. And after an hour on the phone with EasyJet, uh, it became relatively evident to us, even though the guy on the customer service at EasyJet, who was very helpful but didn't want to say, um, was that the flight was oversubscribed. Uh, and the reason we couldn't book the seats is because there weren't seats effectively to book. They, every, every person who wanted a seat on that flight and had booked a seat on that flight had already got one, and there was a number of people uh, who, who, for whatever reason. Now, you know, I've always not booked i've always not i've not checked in online with easyjet until the day before the flight simply because it used to be that that was the only way you could do it without paying to book a seat and i have a i have a, a bit of a fundamental problem with paying for a ticket and then having to be being charged six pounds per person to sit in a seat that you will get allocated anyway um but obviously it becomes a problem if the if if the whole thing's over subscribed and EasyJet have changed their, uh, unbeknown to me, they've changed their um, software. So now you can check in 30 days before and you can skip the seat allocation. So it will allocate you on the plane. So obviously that's what a lot of people have done. And we ended up in this situation where there weren't, there weren't seats to have. So we knew there was a problem before we set off. Consequently, we couldn't actually complete the um, form, the Spanish immigration form, because that required the seats on, on the aeroplane to be confirmed. So we arrived at the airport. Um, at, um, at, at about five o'clock, got through. Manchester Airport was heaving, absolutely rammed, um, and um, and we and we we snaked our way through a very long queue to be told the thing we already knew, which was we needed to go and stand um, at the one available desk where you could you could speak to somebody who was who was dealing with the queries that the machine couldn't handle, um, and it and it. It was quickly confirmed by a very, very good guy called Mike, who was really excellent, actually. Very, he very calmly told us exactly what we kind of already knew, um, and that that we were essentially we were on standby, irrespective of the fact that we paid for the, the flights and everything. We were we were on standby. So after various queues and being allowed to work our way through the airport on standby tickets and check our bags and all those kind of things, um, we we arrived at the gate. Um, at, um, at at about seven o'clock, um, having taken an age to get through every part of the airport, we arrived at the gate around about seven o'clock. Uh, we were one of the last few people uh, coming onto the flight, um, but we were. We Mike was there. He'd, he'd wandered down and, and was at the, at the gate to, to to basically say, "Look, you, you're fine. You're good. The, the, you know, enough people haven't turned up. You can get on the plane." And and so we got on the plane, and everything after that was, you know, was relatively smooth. And um, 
the, it was it was very well organised uh, at the Spanish end. Um, the the organisation. I've got. I've, it, what was really strange was, and uh, not even thought about this. For the first time ever, I think I have a stamp in my passport for visiting Spain, uh, because obviously entering as a third country, you needed a stamp. So we got a we got a stamp, uh, which was which was something. You know, I'm only used to hearing that stamp really when I've I've been to you know to places like the US. So we got the stamp, which is great, and then picked up the car and then worked our way out, and then we met with I don't know how many weeks or months rainfall. Um, for Spain in a single day. So we've, we have walked into torrential rain and flooding um, and driving to the villa and then driving out to get some food and then driving back. We have, we have encountered crashes, we've encountered flooding, we've encountered TV crews filming flooding. Um, and of course it's very momentary. Um, the, the, the issue here is a little bit like the issue you, I imagine you get in places like California where when the water comes and falls with that ferocity that for a shorter period of time there's just nowhere for it to go. Um, the drainage system works its way out actually relatively quickly and, and by the late afternoon a lot of the standing water had disappeared but for you know, the points when we were in the middle of it there was a lot of water. Um, so you know you arrive <laughs> you leave you leave Manchester in the rain and you arrive here and it's flooding and you think grief and, and the, the stress involved with getting here and then you then then you're here and, 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 and all you're looking at is is exactly the same amount of you know exactly the same amount of thing and exactly the same amount of water but we're we're settled we're in as I say I've got a glass of wine on the go it's just starting to go dark it's it's you know probably 45 minutes getting dark 45 minutes later than maybe back home um, and the skies are clearing. Uh, there's forecast a little bit of rain tomorrow, but then after that we're, we're, we're clear all the way. As far as the forecast is concerned, we saw 24, 25 degrees in sunshine. So it will look more like the place we, we remember, um, you know, probably from tomorrow onwards. Um, and even though it's been, it's been an epic over a couple of weeks, with everything that's befallen to get here. We're here, everybody's safe, everybody's well, everybody's knackered. Um, but we, we're, all feeling, we're all feeling very lucky um, this evening, which I think is a way I don't normally end a therapy for me. So it's nice to end on such a kind of philosophical and, and contented uh, note. Uh, so I wish you the very best of the weekend. I wish you the very best into, for those, for whatever you're doing at half term, I wish you the very best. Uh, for your half-term uh, holiday and, uh, and stay safe. If you've enjoyed Therapy For Me, then please subscribe and share as you see fit. This has been an A Short Stories production.